Welcome to Taiwan Noir episode 27 on Hello Dracula and the 36 Shaolin Beats. And Taiwanese filmmakers respond to the success of Hong Kong's Mr. Vampire in the form of Hello Dracula. That comes courtesy of the director of The Child of Peach. But they're not making a carbon copy of Ricky Lau's classic Hong Kong movie though. No, this is for kids. With kids. So we'll see how that turns out. Also, Todd brings us the 36 Shaolin Beads, aka the Gloomy Tower. A possibly ghostly swordplay movie with an unusual emphasis on mystery. And also, it seems like someone directed for once. Considering the genre. <laughs> and more, more, <laughs> more on that in the second half. And Kennedy and with me is the multimedia man Todd Statman who has authored books, produced radio, written blog posts, made YouTube videos. And now he's his own podcasting machine with an emphasis on pop music. So say hello Todd and what is this latest addition to a 4DK <laughs> empire that focuses on uh, music? So, uh, Hello Ken and also I want to say hello Dracula. My Yes, I have a new podcast out. It's musical. It's called Friday's Best Pop Song Ever, which was a weekly feature on my blog and still is. But this is a, a, very, a brief podcast. The episodes are all 10 to 15 minutes long. And I take one of my favorite songs, and I do kind of what we do with movies. I provide a, a lot of context, as much background if I can. If there's anybody I can talk to, I do. So far, I think it's 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 turned out really great. If people want to check it out, it, I post all of them on my blog, which is die danger die die kill one word uh, dot blogspot dot com, or you can. There's also a Facebook page where you can check them out. So it's facebook <laughs> facebook dot com backslash Friday's best pop song ever, all run together but with each word capitalized. If that makes sense. And, and we'll certainly provide that link. But the, the, I, I always like that, that the, because you indeed, you, you either just posted links or did you write little blurbs each time you put up a blog post uh, with the pop song in question? Or, or, or was this like, I want to express more, but I don't want to write. So let's just get it out in the open or a little bit more. What was the sort of full process? That's a good, I think I just felt like it would be a good subject for a podcast. And I was feeling like, I've done a lot of podcasting as sort of a second banana, which I don't mind at all, especially when the people who are running the podcasts are as competent as you are. But I thought it would fun to be it would be fun to have one of my own. How do you find um, producing and uh, heading it all? Is it uh, you know you know because just because it's short in length, and I mean sh- short in quotation marks, that still means you're producing something and it takes up some work. So uh, how do you find that work? Very gratifying once it's done, but sometimes grueling and a little frustrating in the process. I mean, it takes me about so far it take for like one ten to fifteen minute episode. It takes about six hours of editing, mm-hmm. you know, because there's a lot of uh, it, it's sort of like the soundtrack of the inside of my mind. So I'm like narrating something, and there's all these, you know, for every song I try and chart its influences and other songs by that artist and other things it sounds familiar to so there's just a constant interweaving of different songs going on i feel like a stream of consciousness feel to it you know so to get that it's a little complicated but i feel with each one i'm getting better you you're very right that's spot on the thing that it's gratifying once uh, it's conclu- concluded but you're not um, you're not anti 
creative process, clearly. It's just that, uh, well, work, it, it, it is work, and uh, no one said it's going to be easy, I suppose. Uh, otherwise, um, we would have all been kings and queens of the world, I guess, <laughs> if all of this was easy. So uh... Yeah, that's why I'm doing this, Ken. When do I get my scepter? <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm, I haven't got mine back from the shop yet, so it's, uh, I'm waiting okay. for my custom work to be done, damn it. <laughs> to have your coat of family coat of arms put on it. I mean, now they have to have a, a, a um, Taiwanese hopping vampire on, his, uh, on it as well. I'm adding stuff to the, to the, uh, to the design, damn it. Uh, like it's never ending. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention is that uh, for any of the people out there that are fans of my or that enjoyed my novel, please don't be waiting for me or are planning to enjoy it. I've written a sequel to it called So Good It's Bad, and that will be coming out in June. Right. Oh, that, that, was, uh, that was quick, my friend. Was that a plan or you had a sequel in your and you just went about it because i don't know yet because i just started the books so i don't know and you you shouldn't spoil it so i don't know if the book is conclusive or not <laughs> so it, it is it's not it's not a cliffhanger at all it's just when i finished it um i had all the characters in my head and there was a lot of other things i could draw upon for a plot and the feedback i was getting was that people really liked the characters they thought they were well drawn which i was very flattered by and they wanted to hear more about them so okay happy to oblige yeah and i actually think it's gonna be i mean it started out as a young adult idea but this second one is a a little bit more adult probably won't get a young adult classification but my plan now is to do a trilogy. I have a an idea for a third book, and then once that, you know, that's done, box set, baby. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. But I think, yeah, I think people who like the first book will like this new one. I think it's, you know, it's a very character driven series, and you know, so I have a lot planned for these people, these young folks. Excellent, and I'll, uh, I've. Uh... I've just started it, and uh, to give a slight insight into into my life, I'm 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 not the best reader, and that's the and the reason is I joke about the fact like no, I'm just have to learn to read because I just bought a book. But <laughs> I, my, I I have a slight slight sort of uh, learning disorder, so to keep up attention with a book is quite hard for me. So I need to set goals every time I read a book, and usually yeah. sit sit down for twenty minutes or read 10, 10 15 pages is a suitable goal. Otherwise, I'll. Uh, uh, feel it's overwhelming oh, yeah. so that's what i'm doing with your books i'm like 20 pages in man and uh you're setting it you're setting it up and uh nicely spaced out uh bases between rows and big letters and all of that i'm very satisfied so far <laughs> yeah well we're all getting old and as for the rest of the contact information really quick for all your podcast on fire network needs including the archive of taiwan or episodes and this is taiwan or go to podcastonfire.com we also do shows on hong kong movies uh, mostly vintage but some uh, new ones as well which means we're doing uh, examinations of uh, mainland china slash hong kong movies at the same time we also talk about japanese movies on japan on fire korean movies sleazy movies ninja movies and so forth a couple of bonus episodes thrown in every now and again and we also do audio commentaries every now and again also so check out uh, all the shows they're available at the right hand uh, right hand side of the site uh, colorful buttons for all you all you old people that includes me uh, everything needs to be color coordinated and that's how i work 
and you can also join us on social media by clicking the various buttons at the top of our website to Facebook, Twitter. You can click the iTunes button to subscribe to us and uh, subscribe to Tots podcast, of course, um, uh, when or if it's hitting um, iTunes, because I know you did a couple of uh, SoundCloud episodes first, but I'm sure you'll get uh, your pop music show on iTunes soon enough. I, yeah, I've submitted it to iTunes and, and Stitcher, so it should be available for subscription soon. But until then, you know, get it free from SoundCloud. Why not? And you're going to get it for free from iTunes as well. It's just a little a little, little vetting, vetting process. But hey, if they can get if they can get the face-pissing podcast through, I get this one. Then <laughs> anything's, anything's game. Uh, yes. <laughs> At any rate, uh, that is the sort of uh, show, uh, show uh, links uh, in oral form. You'll see them in written form on the website. And uh, we're going to get on with it and review Hello, Dracula. You might not have heard of this series. Essentially, it is. I mean, I, I don't know the filmmaker's process, but the timeline is quite accurate. I think that Mr. Vampire became big in Hong Kong and uh, made ripples somewhere uh, else, including uh, maybe in Taiwan. Then they thought there's a commercial power there to Hello Dracula, but let's do something of our own that makes sense for our market, i.e. kids' focus. And Todd is here to uh, tell us about uh, what Hello Dracula is about. So... Uh, Take it away, Todd, because we didn't have a box art to read off of. For, uh, so, and, and you're the writer, so I might as well uh, uh, burden you <laughs> with this, this shit. We begin. Master Shaw, played by Wong Chung Yu, a traveling street performer, is on the road with his four young disciples when the group encounters Grandpa Chin, a Taoist priest, leading a procession of Zhang Shi, or hopping vampires, through the forest. One of the Jiangxi steps on Shah's shadow, causing him to be temporarily paralyzed and ensuring that he will have bad luck in the coming days. This is borne out when the troop arrives in the next town. Upon witnessing their performance, which involves the young boys doing a number of dangerous stunts, one of the townspeople accuses Shaw of child abuse. The oafish town safety officer, played by Peng San, is called in and hauls Shaw off to jail. The boys are in turn taken to stay at the Grandpa Chin, played by Chin Chu, and his little granddaughter Tian Tian, played by Shadow Liu, observe all the necessary rituals to ensure that the corpses in their charge don't turn into Zhang Shi. The boys protest this arrangement at first, but then upon seeing Tian Tian become smitten with her and start to see its advantages. The boys blame the Zhang Shi for their master being imprisoned and plot to have their revenge. This plot, when enacted, results in one of the Jiangxi escaping in the town, where it bursts into the prison and kills Sha. The grief-stricken boys beg Tian Tian to perform a ritual that will bring Sha back to life. This also backfires, causing Sha to return as a particularly murderous Jiangxi. Zany bloodshed ensues. If it's uh, if it doesn't sound similar to Mr. Vampire, it's because it really isn't Mr. Vampire. It, you you always think that you the cynic in you that oh it's gonna be just like it. But uh, if you've seen Mr. Vampire, it actually uh, doesn't follow the beats of that um, at all. It just sparse genre elements here and there. Well, I would say the one thing that they share is there's a lot of. Um acrobatic choreography involved in you know how the in mr vampire and in this too i mean as 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 following chinese legend 
to stop the Zhang Shi from moving, you slap a talisman, mm-hmm. which is like a, 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 a shred of paper with uh, some an inscription on it. You slap it on their foreheads and that stops them. And there's always the, the gag where one of the, the wind blows one off and, uh, you know, and they have to go through all these crazy acrobatics to get it back on his head. And so that's, those are common to both, you know, and no complaints about that. Cause those are very entertaining and pretty funny scenes. So indeed they are. Indeed they are. And we yeah. have, I think we have some examples in our review of, uh, maybe some other things we recognize from, uh, this whole canon of, uh, these type of movies that followed in the wake of Mr. Vampire. And obviously I'm, I'm, I'm not, uh, 100% about the filmmaker's intentions here in terms of, uh, we got a totes copy Mr. Vampire. And I'm not even 100% certain what is considered the official number of unrelated sequels of, Hello Dracula. Right. But going by Hong Kong Movie Database, that number might be four. Um, okay. and, and that con- it concluded uh, with a title stripped of Hello Dracula in English. And instead, that, that was named in English, the fourth one, King of the Children. But uh, in pro- probably, probably maybe the Chinese title, it's similar. But just like Mr. Vampire, these movies didn't have a continual story. Just um, similar cast throughout all movies, including little uh, shadow liu um but yeah i mean they name her the same thing but uh, but i'm not sure there's a through line of that character growing up in these films were released to u.s video also under titles that don't really have don't indicate the content at all i know like wu-tang presents or something well yeah right one is uh yeah the one of the wu-tang videos is i don't know which Hello, Dracula, the movie it is, but they title it as Labyrinth of Death, and there's no labyrinth in it. There's some death in it, as I recall, but yeah. the title is not really descriptive. That's the one that is really heavy on the on the baby vampires peeing on people. <laughs> uh, and then the other one is 3D Army, which is one of the weird <laughs> weirdest titles that they've come up with. Obviously not in 3D. I always thought it was. It seemed like it. I, I just remember these uh, very, for, uh, very typical foreground shots of physical things uh, dangling in front of us in the foreground. It might have just been a coincidence, but it just screamed to me. I think they're doing. I guess 3D. that's possible. Yeah. yeah. And the poster had a little like 3D, um, either 3D logo or people or characters flying at us in 3D. Also, in the background of that poster is the face from the fright night one poster right (laughs) nice so uh, something for everyone exactly because it's an iconic (laughs) image so they took that yes Uh, but behind this movie hello dracula was a combo of director action and writing team responsible for a ton of special effects driven light fun in taiwan from Taiwan in the 80s and 90s, ranging from the Child of Peach series uh, to King of Snake, which was uh, also recut later with uh, Western actors by the company IFT and retitled to Thunder of Gigantic Serpent, uh, yes. starring Pia Kirby. And uh, this team also was behind, to some degree, uh, the behind the live-action adaptation of Dragon Ball Z in Taiwan called Dragon Ball The Magic Begins. And it's kind of an energetic, fun time that um, f- felt like a live cartoon. And uh, that's um, it's probably 10 million percent better than the actual big-budget Hollywood adaptation of Dragon Ball Z that, uh-huh. uh, that came and went with uh, Giant Fat. 
Hello Dracula might not have had much traction in the West, at least versus Mr. Vampire, but it was a big hit in Japan. And reportedly it was such a success that funding was secured for subsequent entries in the series as a result. Uh, it also apparently made a small made it to the small screen as a TV series, whether Taiwanese produced or Japanese produced, I can't say. Uh, there were video games released and even Hello Kitty was given a hopping vampire makeover <laughs> in the wake of this. Isn't that cute? I mean... Uh, yeah. put uh, Hello Kitty into anything and onto anything I suppose uh, <laughs> uh, and also uh, the fact that uh, you, you should also add to the fact that uh, all those facts that uh, little lead Shadow Liu became a breakout star and idol uh, leading to uh, modeling and singing as part of an idol group uh, meaning that you know when you say idol group you're, you're, you're thinking she made it big in Japan because it uh, seems like such a term for Japan uh, it's not that surprising because, I mean, she's very young in, in this first one, but she's still very charismatic. Yeah, yeah, it's not surprising that um, she's a liked element uh, yeah. uh, from the movie and uh, seemingly could ride that, uh, ride that sort of uh, presence uh, through a couple mm-hmm. of movies. Uh, um, and and I, I enjoy her as she gets a little bit older and she... Um, she maintains a decent enough presence. I watched a movie, which was the last movie of our director at hand here, called Twelve Fairies, which is a mm. supernatural movie. She's a little bit older, and it's all good fun, uh, as you sort of expect from this director after some experience uh, of making special effects and stuff like that. So, um, And on top of it all, uh, Taiwan's Mr. Vampire, if you will, in my opinion, brings unique creativity of its own, rather than riffing on Ricky Lau's classic series of movies starring Lam Ching Ying. So, uh, so, you know, interestingly, we we talked of Shadow Liu. The central figure of Hello Dracula is not a copy of him, but rather we got a kid at the forefront. And even if you sort of look at her grandpa, that isn't necessarily a copy of Lam Ching Ying either. So uh, you you, you would have a hard time... uh, debating that this is a ripoff because um, it, it simply isn't it, it actually reminded me at times of an old our gang comedy because you had these four boys who are you know traveling uh performers of some kind and they're sort of like street urchins this mischief and everything and it's you know it's definitely comedic you know i don't know if you've seen those no they, they don't ring a bell as such okay or they're also known as the Little Rascals, but I don't know why they would have made it to Sweden. So, well, well, well. Sometimes I'm surprised of the things that did make it to Sweden when I, for years, said that well, they probably didn't pick up uh, things like that and put it out on video. But as a matter of fact, they they did, uh, especially when it comes to Asian cinema. Though uh, uh, VHS releases of stuff I never thought made it to our neck yeah. of the woods. Certainly never to my video store. The only Asian presence I remember from browsing VHS was uh, Bruce Lee, essentially. So yeah, well, our gang is like a you know an old Hal Roach comedy from the from Hollywood, right. you know, like twenties and thirties. So at any rate, uh, as for uh, some quick bite-sized opinions of Hello Dracula, uh, um, I'll I'll start this off because the second review of this episode has is it's programmed by Todd, so I'm gonna let him when we reach that review. Uh, Lead, lead us off but as for my quick opinion of hello dracula one it is as familiar as it is unusual it's neither desperately playing to the children's audience demographic uh, and uh, adults expecting broad comedy as uh, padding would be surprised that there actually isn't that much broad comedy despite being uh, populated with children and it as i said many times it doesn't 
uh, try it doesn't try to be like its known counterpart in Mr. Vampire, which is good. And it's generally a very enjoyable film. Uh, honestly, its greatest strength though reveals itself once the action team kicks into high gear. Um, the the stretches in between are not as good, but f- thankfully they weren't broad and annoying though. Um, and I'm very happy that ultimately Taiwan made their own Mr. Vampire. They didn't make Mr. Vampire. Uh, so that's my short opinion for now. What do you want to say in short about Hello Dracula 1? Well, I pretty much agree with everything you said. I enjoyed the film. I also, yeah, I agree. It, it is, it's a children's film, but it's not a children's film in the way that Peach Kid is. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not like a cloying... Oh, there is a cloying theme song. I'm sorry. There's that song, da- Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. Well, well, the thing is, that, that appears one time in the beginning and then an hour later. So it's not That's like right. it's a constant cue that they uh, yeah. insert. Right. We should mention, right, unlike in Child of Peach, we should mention that a through line between all the uh, Hello Dracula movies is this baby vampire character. I, I was thinking of that when I because I saw Hello Dracula 2 first and I remember that had a um a, a few scenes anyway with a baby vampire and that baby vampire played sports uh, in that one and it does here as well uh, in that one it was baseball and this one bowling so I'm thinking huh, there <laughs> maybe when part. I see free the third one maybe I'll definitely get a confirmation that oh yeah they're, they're running with that um, cuteness um, uh, regardless if it has anything to do with the plot or not. He's, he's very adorable, admittedly. He doesn't appear in this one very much. I was expecting to see a lot more of him. And also the humor is not as scatological as it gets as the series goes on. You would think that, because makers are in general adults, and they think that, well, kids like piss. So let's yes. just uh, let's just give have a lot of that, and f- this one sort of just uh, doesn't. It's not unique and creative and original, but it's cert- it's cert- it just treats them sort of as the lead actors and uh, have them yes. th- their kids, and that means a little bit of uh, stupidity, but mostly they're. Um, I have a very neutral stance towards them, meaning that they're certainly not great. They're certainly not bad and annoying. Uh, it's not they're, they're not part of the best stretches of the movie, but it certainly yeah. fe- feels a little bit little bit more thought out uh, without being specialized characterization of uh, kids and stuff. I mean, fart jokes would not have been out of place, and maybe there are some in another cut. Not that I'm like grieving the lack of fart jokes in a movie, but just I was I was sort of braced for that, and that was not that was not on tap for this movie. They even keep the fat jokes to a minimum, despite one of the kids being somewhat, somewhat obese. Right, but the jokes are all about how hard his head is. <laughs> He's the one they break a brick over his head or something. And the action in this is pretty fast and furious, um, which you know makes it go down pretty easy. Well choreographed, you know. I think in in, in perhaps an emulation of the Mister Vampire movies, maybe not. You know. Uh, but yeah, good choreography. Was that a, was that a um, a tough wait to get to that stuff? Because you know it goes through its beats of setting up the troop and setting up the priest that uh, transports the vampires in the middle of the night, and you know all those beats uh, getting us into town. Was that at all a stretch to sort of get through, or was it all okay? Yeah, no, it was fine. I think also one of the you know. 
pretty much all of these movies spend a lot of time going through all the, the you know, the rules of Jiangxi and all the things you have to do you, you, to stop them. And, you know, and like this one they talked about. I don't know. I think this might be the first one where they had the thing if one stops in your shadow, you're. Oh, you're so right. I'd never heard of that, even throughout all of those Lam Ching Ying movies, whether they were Mr. Vampire that or was not. Neat. Yeah, it was new and neat, actually. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure it was not a new idea, but no one really pursued it before, which uh, is. Uh, pretty cool i mean they uh, they use it uh, two or three times um, and add upon that the you know the bad luck of it all and obviously he has no luck in gambling either that character right. which you would think would be the kick-ass lead character master shaw because he kick-ass the, the the actor in this case he physically he can he can bring it and he's acrobatic as hell and uh, then obviously as the plots alluded to uh, he's not going to be uh, the alive uh, central focal point and all of that. And I, I thought I was uh, fairly neat as well because, I, I mean, that's my cynicism coming through. That's their <laughs> Lam Ching Yin. But as a right. matter of fact, there, there's no Lam Ching Yin really, really yeah. in this one. So I love how uh, Hong Kong and Taiwan movies use Taoism, which is really a pretty... You know, it's a it's a religion that stresses peaceful contemplation. You know, <laughs> but they use it as an excuse to print crazy. You know, it's like they have they use it to have people shooting laser beams out of their eyes and weird monsters like the watermelon monster from uh, was that Shaolin Drunkard? One of those drunkard movies. Um, just all kinds of crazy stuff, but the religion itself is pretty sedate. It sounds like, yeah, yeah, they're they're, they're certainly able uh, to these uh, Taoist priests to um, kick into they they kick things into gear if needed, and uh, they uh, they take care of uh, corpses as they should. And and I mean, I I, I guess it's good that w because we. W We've had hopping vampires in movies before, even back uh, in Samus movie, uh, Close Encounter of the Spooky Kind. Uh, yes. But I, I think by 1985, it, it started to become common, but you still needed to set up why, for instance, the priests are transporting these vampires uh, during night. During night, And all that, I think, is quite true, that uh, uh, burial rites are quite a serious thing, so you need to transport corpses to their hometown and things like that. Right. And, and obviously uh, at nightfall, too, because uh, no one wants to see that at, you know, in daylight uh, and uh, be, be scared to death. Uh, and I, I, I think the movie takes care of that quite well and we, we understand it as well even though it's not the most complex thing in the world but still exposition dumps and establishing rules and establishing the universe it can be tricky but i think our director at hand uh, does a good job while moving things forward well it's like you know western zombie movies have their rules too and pretty much every movie has to establish that you know you have to shoot them in the head blah 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 all that stuff so you know it's expected and it but it a lot of it yeah, having seen a few of these movies, having seen Mr. Vampire and a few other movies in the Mr. Vampire series, yeah, I kind of understand the rules. I know why, you know, the scene, the sight of a Taoist priest leading a procession of Jiangxi, you know, through the forest, it's like, oh, yeah, I know, you know, I know what that's all about. I'm an old veteran of these movies. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and they're mostly fun most of the time, whether Taiwanese or Hong Kong. I mean, 
in Hong Kong they it became oversaturated after a while, but I, I can right. can't pinpoint too many whether Lam Ching Ying were in them or not that just uh made me want to slice my wrist or anything because no. the genre had almost default fun by simply being that genre, if that makes sense, you know. Yeah. I know what you mean. Uh, but it's it is fun that we get some fresh elements here because when we meet Shadow Liu, uh, it's it's kind of cute that she has her day at the morgue, well organized, and she is feeding a group of corpses, and they are they are unclaimed corpses, as a matter of fact, which is a fun angle. They they she takes care of them. She's fe- she's feeding them, but she's all she also got them by the balls because if they misbehave <laughs> she she's got weaponry to deal with that which is fun for children because she sort of smacks them this is a a 10 year old nine or 10 year old girl we're talking about exactly and she commands that though I, I think that's a wonderful entry because uh here's this presumably very inexperienced actress um getting uh they clearly saw something in her obviously when casting yeah. her and she she okay i'm i'm the leader and uh you better not misbehave and that she does no she's a she's a badass in this movie and she has a great side eye you know she has a you know some really good mean looks you know exactly so. um so when we get to the to the town you know it's not a terrible way to anything we got the story threads of bad luck and the financial struggles of the group and master shaw and all of that is is perfectly fine the direct our director chu chung hing here he's uh, he's taken off that stuff well enough uh, before it, it's his time with his stuntman and action action association to to get to work and i mean it's not as strong color and build up like child of peach but because that backstory is so much more colorful anyway and right. it had much more visually and conceptually to work with uh, but right. I, I can sense though even two movies in but certainly in the later movies that he grew as he grew in comfort as a director it didn't seem like he especially the last movie i mentioned with 12 fairies it seems like he enjoyed being the storyteller and also action guy and uh could balance those two uh tasks uh, very well um and i also want to mention that the whole thing about you know them being charged with child abuse and then there's the town safety officer played by peng sang who is like the comedic fat guy and that is pure Mr. Vampire, the stubborn, uh, the, the, the stubborn authority figure played by Billy Lau in Mr. Vampire. Yes, so. yeah. But the feeling I got from this movie, that, that whole bit about child abuse and everything, um, I felt like they were kind of making fun. of. I mean, as you'll learn if you watch enough Chinese language movies, or a, generally Asian films with children that... Uh, uh, in them, Asian cultures, at least in their popular entertainment, are not as sentimental about children as the as Western cinema is. Like, you know, it's it's so taboo to show even harm to children in Western movies. In a, an Asian movie, it's it's not that unusual to see. And I think they were sort of they're poking fun at this notion of 
the the sort that sort of sensitivity that would have someone because all these kids are doing is breaking bricks over their heads and you know doing these incredibly dangerous things and <laughs> you know it's like and here comes the authorities to spoil all the fun yeah yeah that's a good point and uh, i mean uh, thankfully uh, they uh they the, the filmmakers aren't pushing them like uh people do little olympic gymnasts and like uh, cracking their backs right. or whatever but uh, well, yeah. but obviously both taiwanese and hong kong film industries the the rigid rules so to say they they are a bit uh, you know what rules is the kind of thing that you c- could apply to both adults and kids uh, in these uh, movies like uh, they're not setting them on fire thankfully enough thankfully enough that's the stuntman's job Right. <laughs> well, what what was the Hong Kong film where there's a a car chase and someone takes like a like a little like two year old girl and hangs <laughs> her out the window and it's actual. Uh, that's the movie Fatal Termination, starring Moon that's, Moon yes. Lee, and uh, indeed it's a it's a special effects sequence that's off because th- th- she's wired up. But yes, she's hung out okay. of a car, and uh, uh, <laughs> you know if you knew that actress, little actress, the movie she appeared in, they they were pretty rough, and uh. I mean that that's the roughest one. But uh, she 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 was the little kid in the Ringo Lam movie Wild Search with Chai and Fat. If you ever saw that, she's the little kid in that. So she she she's in serious movies and stuff. But uh, yeah, that that's if you want to shock a, a a union in the West that oh, yes. deals with children, like show yeah. them that scene from Fatal Termination and just see their mouths uh, mouths and uh, anuses uh, explode. <laughs> If you made an, a movie like that in the United States in this day and age, you'd probably have angry mobs outside your home. For good reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Not that I'm advocating that kind of treatment of children. <laughs> but I will admit it's somewhat refreshing to see it sometimes without having to... Anyway, moving right along. <laughs> when the action kicks in, I mean, it, it, my, my favorite sequence probably resides when the vampire sort of conveniently bursts into the jail and we get actor yes. Wong Chung Yu versus whoever the vampire is in this case. And Wong Chung Yu is a terrific physical specimen because he, he can do acrobatics, he can do high kicks and kick into gear quick. And obviously these vampires are sort of martial arts able, but they're still stiff, obviously. But uh, that means it's gonna be a fight scene, and rather than a one-sided fight, and yeah, and all the bouncing up and down the walls and uh, the stunts that are involved here, I kind of find that quick go to that sequence because that sequence starts like you read about when the jail door is uh, is uh, tore down, then then shit is on, and I find that stuff really admirable to to watch because the the action guys know their stuff they know their film speeds they know how to make that action powerful and even somewhat dangerous because it's it's peril obviously that's no, a great scene i agree uh so so it's a shame we didn't see wong Xun yu more in the flesh but obviously he he still plays the vampire once he's turned uh, because uh, he he looks like a guy who uh probably was a stuntman that became capable as an actor so you could use him in both capacities so whether in makeup or not so uh, uh and, and looking at screen caps from my review of part two that might even be him as well in one of the vampire roles because he, he sort of stands out so um well he's the only vampire that has a goatee exactly <laughs> or a beard he has a beard and saw a goatee uh so so yeah the kill of the apparent lam Ying lead and uh that's uh 
that's something you go with. And uh, the the only thing I, I I don't have a ton more notes, but uh, the only thing I ever was somewhat confused about is the the latter sort of third. They really start to explain the meaning and essence and what you need to do within the rituals to get this plot solved. That gets a little bit tricky to follow if as a Westerner if you yes. don't know you know, the intricacies of these uh, rituals, they do their damnedest to really explain it well and sort of slow down the movie for us. But when all was said and done, Todd, I, 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 it's it's genre rather than school. So that means you can't follow, you know, you know the basic beats of this uh, scenario, right? Yeah, I yada, 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 some of that, I admit, you know, but it didn't, yeah, it didn't take away from the enjoyment you know, these movies, I don't feel like I necessarily need to know all of the the basis in folklore. I mean, I like to know some of it, but, you know, not knowing it does not, you know, make the movie any less enjoyable, which this, this movie was, basically. It wasn't like, I wouldn't highly recommend it, but, which is the ultimate cop-out. If you think this is the kind of movie you might like, Yes, check yeah. it out. It's generally enjoyable, which is still, you know, for me, I add upon that, that my fascination with Taiwanese genre cinema is kind of deep. And I like that they, their own Hopi Vampire series and these kind of movies, they're, they're, they're because some of them weren't Hello Dracula, were generally enjoyable and they had technical capabilities that were their own rather than having to import, you know. Yeah. Sam Hong's team to do the action or anything right. like, like because our director at hand here you know Chu Chung Hing he had his stuntman association he had a stunt group meaning that uh, just like Sam or just like Jackie he had a dedicated group of um, that uh, could perform this for him and work under him so and that capability only increased as as he continued to direct i mean i haven't seen all of them but obviously child of peach and magic of spell technically fun action across the board pretty high watermark in my opinion in terms of what taiwanese uh, taiwanese cinema sure. can do on its own yeah so. one thing i'll say is that i remember when uh mr dracula came out was that 85 uh, mr vampire was 85 yeah mr vampire sorry okay, so. <laughs> hello, hello early vampire. for me yeah, hello, hello, vampire. Um, Mister, when Mister Vampire came out, uh, it had a brief theatrical run in the U.S. I think it played like art houses and and repertory cinemas, mm-hmm. probably definitely in San Francisco and in New York and places like that. And that was sort of like it got a lot of attention because the idea of the hopping vampire was so novel Indeed. at the time. People didn't know what about that at all. So there were articles like, you may th- has fangs and wears a cape and blah, blah, blah. But in China, you know, that sort of thing. It got a lot of attention. It actually caused, <laughs> I wouldn't say it caused a stir, but it got, it got attention for that. And it's, it's, it's fun that that did, because as big as and classic as Samo's movie is, uh, Close Encounter. Yes. It didn't break through as hard as Mr. Vampire did. Mr. Vampire sort of just, um, yeah. it, I don't know, more approachable maybe because Samus movie was also really a strong kung fu movie. So maybe it's, uh-huh. I don't know, slightly specialized or simply didn't get that uh, key uh, key showings in America. I don't know. but uh, Mr. Vampire is a really good movie, I think. It's very entertaining, great action, very funny. <laughs> You, you 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 can just see just like Shadow Liu here, 
just seemed to be made for that role, slid yeah. comfort- comfortably into it. Look at Lam Xingying, who already was established well under Samus' direction. You know, uh, Prodigal right. Son probably is his best role. But here you see Mr. Vampire, and he just, uh, he was made for that. He was very funny, very commanding, and the entire production just technically up to snuff. And it also has to be mentioned, that was Samus' production. So Samus still continued to lead and right. break stars, uh, just not... Uh, he, he simply didn't direct it himself. So, uh, so uh, it's uh, uh, the, my, my first exposure to Lam Ching at all uh, was actually Magic Cop, which is not. It, it's his sort of. It's a modern Mr. Vampire, but it doesn't have. Uh, uh, it doesn't have hopping vampires as such, but it has Lam Ching commanding in this sort. Of, oh my god, that guy is super cool. The way uh-huh. he performs rituals and all of that, and 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 then. The, the sort of a process starts and I, I think it was a year or two before he died where I when I discovered Magic Cop so based on one movie when I found out he died in 97 oh I was so bummed out because he seemed so talented mm. so yes. damn talented and he was but it seemed like that guy I think did that w- several times right it wasn't a fluke, fluke performance Magic Cop in this case we're talking about Lam Ching Ying. I, I mean, he was in the Mr. Dracula sequels, too. He was in uh, Vampire vs. Vampire, which is also a really good one. Yeah, uh, he directed that as well. One of his uh, yeah. two movies he directed. Uh, the other being The Green Hornet, which is not a good movie, unfortunately. Uh, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I just wanted to say, say, I recognize the needle drop in this one. And I should, because they've used this so damn much. Uh, yes. Jean-Michel Jarre's Oxygen. Two pops up here, just like it always does. Not Oxygen 1, not Oxygen 4, but Oxygen <laughs> 2. Snake and Eagle Shadow used it, and uh, mm-hmm. they, they all sort of like uh, the build of that track. You know, that, that seemed to suit uh, scenes in Kung Fu and genre movies like this, and I think they're right, because that's a good track. There's also some needle drops from John Barry's James Bond soundtracks. I'm thinking either Thunderball or You Only Live Twice, but it's always in. They're used. It's also used in suspenseful scenes. That music is so good for building up tension, and it, that's which is why it's so often ripped off for uh, Taiwanese and Hong Kong movie scores. I'm not finding it in my notes here, but I think it was in this one I, that I also heard uh, little uh, snippets of the Ghostbusters score. Uh, not the Ray Parker song. Oh, but yeah. Like, dun, 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 uh-huh. dun, 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 dun. That's a little um, That's, uh, <laughs> wacky, slightly wacky soundtrack you hear during uh, certain funny scenes in Ghostbusters, you know. Yes. Um, so I also wanted to say that it has some, you know, superimposed special effects here, and that's generally well integrated because you get countermeasures, obviously, uh, often uh, involving a mirror that uh, then a sort of a laser, for lack of a better word, shoots out of. And I like the, they they have a little scene where you know the mirror swipes across the screen and then that sets fire to the environment right so they're using right they they, they gotta time that for the effect to be added in in later and that stuff works pretty fairly here without uh, without them they they don't use the movie as testing ground and then fail 99 percent of the time but they rather use that sparsely and uh, stick with doing most of this uh, physically and um 
And even, and this is my final note, I thought uh, in all the Mr. Vampire movies, there, there's sure to be a scene where the characters are holding their breaths in order for the vampire not to uh, notice they're there because the vampires are blind. They only notice the, uh, they, they can only sense breath. And there's a clever gag here where they're all holding their breath, but someone has two of their teeth knocked out for whatever reason, and air escapes through the gap. His mouth looks like a catastrophe. It's really bad. I thought that was a clever callback to Mr. Vampire. So Yes. Yeah. Because they always hold their breath, you know, uh, uh, in the same way and uh, therefore make a, si- yeah. a silly face in the, in the process. So. Yeah, that's a great scene in Mr. Vampire, too, because also not only are they holding their breasts, but they're in these ridiculous p- positions, like sort of suspended from the ceiling and like uh, it's in the jailhouse scene. Yeah, and Lam Xing is stuck between the uh, uh, bars uh, of the jail door at this, uh, while yes. doing that. That's <laughs> so. Uh, yes. It's all good fun. Um, I don't have a- any other notes before we go into the availability. I want to say anything else about Hello Dracula. Nor do I. I'm good. Availability isn't strong. I mean, there's no disc options currently, but once there was a box set on DVD in Japan, and that makes sense, that they like, they, they continue to like it. So they put out the box set on DVD in Japan. I think it had various source material across the discs, though, meaning some material had permanent Japanese subtitles, but none had English translation, of course. Uh, and what we watched, I think, is from one of those DVDs. It's a, it's a custom version that someone added English subtitles onto the permanent Japanese subtitles, uh, and it looked like a, a VHS copy of the film. Um, but you know, it's uh, it's letterboxed, and uh, those subtitles were were a blessing. Uh, we're, I'm, I'm going to credit the person's uh, username um, in the show notes. But uh, those custom subtitles even added some cliff notes uh, to explain certain rituals and what have you. So it was a fairly researched uh, set of custom subtitles. So good on you, uh, person who did that. Uh, Hello Dracula 1, done and dusted. We might return to uh, maybe a one or two of whether they're Hello Dracula movies or not. We might uh, check out one or two of the Shadow Liu movies uh, in the future. Uh, But uh, for now, Hello Dracula is... uh, added to the Taiwan Noir roster. And uh, after a break, we're going to look at the movie I had no idea existed. And uh, therefore, that's it's Todd's uh, part of the programming of this episode. The movie is called The 36 Shaolin Beats, also known as The Gloomy Tower. And our review of that comes after the break. So sit tight and we'll be back. And welcome back in the second movie up for review in this Taiwan War is the 36 Shaolin Beats, a.k.a. The Gloomy Tower, which The Gloomy Tower, probably the original title, this international retitle is way better, the 36 Shaolin Beats, because you remember the beats from the movie and not the damn tower. 
Yeah, it actually refers to something that happens in the movie, which is rare. It works out. <laughs> uh, this was Todd's selection of this episode, and we, we, we're not going into full review again uh, yet, rather, because uh, I, I was curious. Uh, clearly, this came into your life at one point, but why did why why did it stay with you? Because you wouldn't recommend any average kung fu movie necessarily. There was clearly something about this that stuck with you. So, in short, why the thirty six Shaolin beats? Well, let me tell you, Ken. This movie came into my life as a dollar public domain DVD on the Brooklyn Zoo label. Was it a double bill uh, DVD as well? Because they they, they usually yes. did double bill DVDs. Cool. Yeah, I forget what the other movie was. but So I bought it at the Walgreens, you know, it's a drugstore chain, and uh, for a dollar. Uh, took it, I mean, as I've bought many, but... It was, yeah, it really stood out to me. And for this reason, as I have mentioned on this podcast many times before, I am a huge fan of Choi Yun's movies that he did for Shaw Brothers, specifically his adaptations of Kulong's uh, Wuja novels. And, and if I stop you right there, it's, it's impossible to claim, you know, when you say you're a fan of those, and I am as well. You would probably confuse newbies because sometimes it's about, I'm a fan of those because I know nothing of what goes on in those movies. Isn't that great? And people would go, huh? Why is that a good thing? It is a good thing. My favorite movies of his, those are, are ones that you can follow, but it takes some effort. I mean, probably my favorite movie of his is Clans of Intrigue with T. Long. And that is complicated, but it does have a plot. It does have a through line, but you have to pay attention to a lot of very quickly uttered dialogue. A lot of better da 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 you know, so... Could you ever, um, so, uh, by the way, pardon me, could you ever decipher Heaven, Sword, and Dragon Saber? Or that was... Absolutely not. That is... <laughs> Thank God, I'm not alone. <laughs> <laughs> that is a movie that defies comprehension. I was like, it... <laughs> I think it happened. I like the things that happened during it happened, but I yes. don't know what happened. <laughs> That's the movie where the first movie starts with like a 15-minute recap that contains actors that don't appear in either movie that just like goes over all this stuff that has happened prior to the action of the movie i think they 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 did that in the jet in the jet lee adaptation of the same source material as well uh the, the kung yeah. fu cult master has also opens with a scene that feels like okay i think i turned on part two by mistake it's like a completely different movie yeah those are amazing <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to 36 Shaolin Beads. Um, obviously, those Kulong, uh, Gulong adaptations were popular because there's so many of them. And I imagine they were popular in Taiwan as well. But the 36 Shaolin Beads was the first Taiwanese film I've seen that seemed to be uh, sort of cribbing the vibe of those Choi En movies. There's a lot of similarities, you know, in that there's it's got it's a mystery as a lot of Joanne's movies used to be. It uses a lot of very artificial but very atmospheric sets, you know, these sort of murky swamps with, like, all this fog and colored lighting, very atmospheric. There's a, you know, secret, super secret martial arts, martial world weapon that everybody's after, which is a common plot element. And a lot of uh, inventive fighting, 
you know, I love those movies, and I actually thought this movie did a pretty good job of emulating that. So I found it very entertaining and very interesting for that. And and therefore, based on all of that, this was a plot that could be deciphered and broken down into pieces. Uh, and uh, that's what plot is, uh, what that is plot. <laughs> I always say that, but give me the plot, Todd. <laughs> give me the plot, Todd, I please. did want to make one more point, and that is kind of... Choi Yen had uh, a, a pair of movies, uh, Clans of Intrigue and Legend of the Bat, both starred T Lung as a character called Xu Liu Sang, who's described as a playboy advent a playboy adventurer, and he's sort of a character in the James Bond mode. And he has a uh, monk sidekick, Yi Feng, who's played by Yuet Hua. Mm-hmm. And then there's another series, uh, Clan of Amazons, followed by Duel of the Century, which stars as Li Xiaofeng, and he's more of a Sherlock Holmes type character. And that's one of the things that Gulong was known for, was introducing these sort of Western, these elements of Western genre fiction into these um, wuja tales. All right, yeah, I've never thought of it that way, but you're right, those are very distinct personalities indeed in some of his uh, the movies based on his written work. Yeah, so this 38 Shallon Beads is almost like a fanfic version of these because it contains a character who's obviously based on Xu Lu Sang, who has a monk companion. And then there's also a character who's very much like Li Jiaofeng. And so they team up. So it's kind of like a dream team sort of thing. Having digressed so much, I I will lay the plot on you. Xin Ping, played by Wang Quanxiang, a sleuthing swordman, swordsman clad in white, arrives in Dragontown, where a string of mysterious murders have taken place. At the urging of Master T, whose son has gone missing, Xin Ping endeavors to get to the bottom of the mur- murders, focusing on the gloomy cold cream. <laughs> the cold Sorry, cream pavilion. The cold. <laughs> I would have gone. I would have gone with that. That that sounds plausible. I have not been drinking. I swear to God, I'm just a little tired. Cold green pavilion and the suspect dealings at a brothel run by the Gold Dragon Escort Service. Many in the town believe that the murders are the work of ghosts, but Xin Ping, being a good detective, is skeptical of that explanation. Meanwhile, Chen played by Pai Ying, a black-clad swordsman with a companion who is a Buddhist monk, played by Mark Lung Hun Mo, also arrives in town with an eye towards solving the murders. In the course of his investigation, he encounters and joins forces with Chai Ming Chu, played by Kitty Meng Choi, whose brother was one of the murder victims. Chen confesses to her that his father was also a victim. Xin Ping at first suspects Chen of the murders, but is forced to become his ally in the face of the violent opposition that both men face as a result of their investigation. Arrayed against them are an army of black-clad swordsmen called the Angels of Death and a white-clad madam with two acrobatic acrobatic female assassins in her employ in her employ as well as whichever unknown figure commands them 
These villains are made even more formidable by their possession of a super weapon known as the super needle gun, which fires poison needles with deadly accuracy. And I'll add, it can be thrown like a boomerang also. The only defense against it is the necklace of 36 magnetic beads worn by the monk. Though Xinping, Chen, Timing Chu, and the monk are constantly under attack, I'm sorry to just keep calling him monk. I don't, I didn't catch what his name was. Are constantly under attack by these enemies. They manage to uncover a series of tunnels that is being dug beneath the town. The goal of these, they soon learn, is to facilitate either an erect. <laughs> An in to facilitate an erection, no, an insurrection against the House of Tea, a daring robbery, or both. A lot of fighting ensues. While I could, you know, I'm attentive, sometimes I'm barely attentive, and uh, this movie is indeed coherent. Your plot to give a little behind the scenes uh, look into all, all these things, your plot was a great assist, but it is actually still. A very clearly told movie. It's not Choyun complexity. And as for my short opinion, I, I've never seen this and I've never heard of it, so it's all going in blank, which is always nice. It's kind of it, it's kind of solid, and it is to be applauded for wanting to take its time to develop a mystery clearly of the is it is it not what is it because it seems to hint that spooky stuff um it's not overwhelming in this regard in terms of how it uh, evolves its uh, plot it doesn't have a lot of plot twists dumped on us like a choyun movie Uh, it's a sword play movie that tries to tell and develop stick to one mood thankfully it's not a comedy and while it's no genre classic it passes the time adequately it's technically solid it's got great fight scenes in particular towards the end and uh, you know this unexpected professionalism as a film was something i was surprised by in terms of yes. uh, how store how it's story driven but it's sort of story focused because any of these movies can be story driven we'll just inject 500 threads of those fucking things but this <laughs> right. one is uh, so okay we got a couple of threads that's enough. Go along. We're not go along here. We're in the mold of, but we're not go along. It also has a lot of what I think is absolutely essential to a mystery film, and that is a lot of atmosphere, which I think is enough. You know, it's it's got a lot of spooky atmospheres. I mentioned some very uh, expressionistic sets. There's that great bridge set surrounded in fog and every time you see that you know something bad is going to happen and then there's all the the spooky mansions and the and the sound design too there's a lot of there's this one location where every time they go there there's a lot like you know and And all of that i thought i mean going in blank i was sort of making notes in terms of like where we're going are they going somewhere confident are they confident as filmmakers and you know ultimately this movie is about sort of deception tactics so yes. obviously sets sets setting up spooky atmosphere are overly smoked up which is almost funny in that regard that uh, we were gonna really mess with audiences minds by pl- planting the fact that yeah we got spooky stuff but it's all used as smart uh, deception tactics right I, I omitted a lot of things from my synopsis in the interest of not spoiling the movie for people who want to see it. Because I think it's I I definitely recommend this movie. I think it's you know I think it's a hidden gem, and I think people should see it. 
now that I have all the movie in my mind here, the, those deception tactics, uh, they they never ventured into uh, filmmakers lacking in confidence by pouring atmosphere on. It's it's there by design to go like. Ooh, on the soundtrack it, it's not like is that what you do i've seen it in a scooby-doo cartoon once like uh, <laughs> you know it, it's not like they're um they're um inadequate to anything and uh yeah even though we're watching this movie in um compromised form meaning we have no access to a widescreen source uh, clearly those sets do stand out and while it's not a movie where we got a lot of wires wire stuff it is clearly set in a fantasy setting therefore these uh, fake sets work out like, uh, I, I'm, I'm like you the the more indoors all those Shaw Brothers sets felt especially when it was a Choyun movie the more it just became better because that sort of makes sense I agree completely and not that Shaw Brothers sets were shoddy nor these but uh, it, it certainly is an argument that uh, works for movies, and uh, and then you got blue lit smoky nights as well, not just so, sort of green lit, but blue knit. So, you know, it it is not a high budget movie, but still, it gets uh, even basic stuff sort of becomes very acceptable. For instance, the this the depiction of the spinning needle gun. If you make its presence felt and what it does, then I think that's quite all right. You don't need to reinvent the wheel in terms of how you uh, depict those things. It also nicely breaks... I mean, it it does contain a lot of exposition as, you know, is is sort of required, but it breaks it up with a lot of action. And the action, I think, is very well staged, especially the end is just like a solid 20 minutes of, of fighting between different you know, different matchups and everything until the the dinner ball, you know, until it ends. I was kind of concerned for a while, though, because from, not during the ending, mind you, um, the way certain action went, it was more it was more done in cuts rather than, you know, these uh, balletic exchanges. But once we get, I think, one of the first fight scenes with uh, Wang Quan Xiong, we see that there, and he probably shares that fight scene with uh, Kitty Meng Choi. We see that yes, they are not, they are, they have capable action directors here, and it's gonna, it's gonna yes. be okay. But, but the, even when they stage moments in cuts, they are able to crank moments well. And what I mean by that is, there's an early sequence where someone is walking along, and all of a sudden spears come out of the ground, and it's not hard to bury a couple of fake movie spears in the ground, and show that to the camera but i think this movie is very apt at uh, making those moments like go from zero to hundred in a in a in a fair way you know you know and in, in that i think they were um trying to match the standard of the choyan movies and all his you know most of his movies were choreographed by tong guy so you know and there's amazing choreograph you know amazing fights in those movies and thankfully, I mean, not every movie in the 70s did this, but in 1977, uh, we had had introduction to Kung Fu comedy. It would have become, it was closing in on becoming more common uh, by 78 when, ja- when Jackie Chan broke uh, Kung Fu comedy. So thankfully, this movie isn't populated by high-pitched merchants and servers <laughs> in right. a tea Mister. house. Mr. Yeah. I- <laughs> it has one character that does that for 30 seconds at most. So, right. And, yeah. and and I think there's no 
it's a short movie and it never felt to me Todd like uh, they ran out of things to do and started padding things they had enough of a mystery spaced that out and and sort of tied tied it up not that I'm at the end of my notes but it's it sort of felt like there were it was not too stuffed but it was not under undercooked either. there was a little bit of that which is also you find in the Choyan movies of reveals of identities that kind of are very game changing at the end or reveals of identity of people you didn't even notice in the movie before you're, but I am actually blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, I didn't know who you were before. So, you know, but apparently it was, uh, you know, so I won't say it's all completely crystalline. There are some things where I was like, what? Yeah. But it it never became that sort of killer clans, uh, twisty Tony and new characters. I only mentioned killer clans because it's the first Choyo in the movie I ever watched. And I was like, cool, but recap, please. (laughs) I think that was his his first Gulong movie. Oh, so he came out of the gate uh, shooting shooting wildly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and also, if you watch the movie like 20, 30 minutes or so, it doesn't seem like it establishes main characters because it teases us that we're going to get heroes that seem capable. And then one or two of those perishes. And I, I kind of dug that because uh, it follows a character in a temple for a good few minutes and it seems like... That's probably the main one, and that character then dies. That to me shows the movie's thinking a little bit about, and even knowing a little bit about tropes and how to play with the audience's perception of uh, tropes and things like that. They did a they did a psycho on on us. Um, <laughs> That's a wow! What a comparison! You, 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 you have to explain that for the rest of your life, man. Introducing a having a character, establishing a character as the lead character, and then having them killed off suddenly. But it's sort of compare, comparing to Psycho is a, is a big, tall, tall order. Like the, the 36 Shaolin beats in Psycho, they stand next to each other. <laughs> <laughs> I say that uh, 36 Shaolin beads should replace Vertigo on top of AFI's list of the greatest films of all time. Come at me, bro. And that, <laughs> that means they'll look for elements so we can see this movie in widescreen or something like that. <laughs> so. Right. I'm waiting for a Criterion version of this movie, to be honest. Um, I, yeah, um, the version I had was, of course, a crappy transfer. The the elements that I really liked, thankfully, they uh, it's center framed really well. But the, the, there's a dialogue scene between um, our finale bad guy and other characters. That, and we only see the arm of uh, uh, it's the character Lung Fei plays. I mean, if Lung Fei is in a movie, you know he's a bad guy. He he often yeah. fought Jimmy Wang Yu, and he's out of frame in one scene in daylight when they're talking to him, which is always amusing. But uh, because you can't, they, they didn't always pan and scan these movies, like and and they they sort of just sent the crop them. So we, we were just stuck with scenery and arms sometimes. And, yeah, uh, I actually I want to harken back to the whole psycho thing because all I meant by that reference is that. The film speaks the language of cinema. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a sure. it's a it's a literate, you know, intelligent treatment of its subject. And so it knows, you know, and so in using that gambit, it's it's basically quoting psycho. I'm not saying it's <laughs> I'm not You know I'm the editor as well, so anything you say I'm gonna play against you. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and Donald Trump is my idol. Any trope you can and cliche, you can execute with skill and uh, involve. Whether whether you're making a thriller or con- or swordplay movie in this case, so uh, 
one of the characters uh, actors I really like is uh, I I the only name I remember of him because I I have a terrible memory. But uh, Wang Quan Xiong, I normally is uh, movies I see is credited as uh, uh, Wong Goon Hong, and I I like his. Um, presence normally I, I quite like him here as uh, one of our lead male characters he's got an intense sort of stoic way about him that also right. becomes effective in his fight scenes uh, the, the stoic way leads way to fair power you know you, you, we believe that it's not just his brain but obviously he can physically bring it as a character and to see Pai Ying by the way in sort of a good guy role is always refreshing Pai Ying for reference sake I mean he was the eunuch in Dragon Inn Mm. Many times he played bad guys in uh, in uh, in these kind of genres, and including in Taiwanese movies. And he's in a touch of Zen as well. But I think he's a good guy in that one. Uh, the mystery plus the fair coherency, uh, well, quite good coherency, I'd say. It, it evolves bit by bit rather than throwing chunks at us, as as I said. Which these movies sometimes did. They just you know sometimes in opening voiceover or in quick montages as we explained but this one gets into a nice group doing that splitting us whether it's it's about ghosts if it's about deception if these green lit fighters and groups of men appearing out of the shadows if they are anything that beyond the surface if if, if there's something else it's all watchable. I, I also have to, by the way, uh, I forgot to mention on the theme of choreography, uh, Kitty Meng Choi really keeps up well with the choreography and probably is my, the highlight performer because she um, she has an intensity about her that uh, yes. that really works for the part. And I can't quote any other movie I've seen her in, but based on this, I, I, I really want to see if she brought it um, it was fair ferocity here that, really, uh, that I responded to. She wasn't uh, balletic or timid, but rather she she was one of the boys, uh, so to say. The rooms towards the end where that, that splits up in our um, yes. cast into pairs. I mean, um, you you mentioned that you really like those. Um, I mean, it, it leads into a whole sequence with not rooms of traps, but rather rooms of uh, with hidden fighters behind paintings. We got rotating portraits right. and stuff. I love stuff like that, <laughs> and and that's a long stretch of the movie towards the end, and that's when it really goes for it by splitting up into pairs, essentially, and yeah. then on top of that, adding one more fight towards the end. Do you think it um, it earns putting a such amount of action at the end? Uh, do you think that's the the crescendo, like the suitable logical crescendo for the movie? The Choi Yan movies are like that too. They all end with like a really drawn out battle that involves pretty much everyone in the cast. So that's kind of almost traditional or to be expected given the type of film that it is. Um, I admit to going a little cross-eyed at a point because it's really intense fighting mm-hmm. and very fast paced and there is a lot of it and I did. But in this one versus a Cho Yun movie you have more of an idea of what goes on though. That's true, because they did, they kind of, yeah, they separated pairs, you know, so it was like a series of stage fights between different, that matched up the characters that probably had the most, the biggest grudge against each other. I can't remember who um, Kitty Meng Choi fought, but I think it was one of the women characters, right? It was like... Yeah, I did. it was intense, and I did like it, but I, I, I seem to remember Mark Lung as the monk, yeah. Fought against at least one of the women because he used the Shaolin beads, the magnetic Shaolin beads, and all of that. There could have been less fighting at the end, but 
I don't think it was it suffered too much from there being I mean it is a it's a martial arts movie so I don't think it suffered too much from that. No not even um adding the outdoor fight at the end um yeah it 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 felt fun because it felt even more traditionally kung fu because it yeah. almost, it almost seemed like uh, it was Sam's fantastical abilities obviously there's no wire work They, they, exactly, they, there was no wire work, and yet they they had the beats still there to add um, to add. And I don't want to spoil this because I think it's quite delightful. But uh, they they still add the beats in um, in a delightful way. Um, uh, so they add some pyrotechnics, let's just say, which was uh, kind of fun. <laughs> yes, I like that about it too. Lots of lots of explosions. Yeah, it, it's it's a traditional kung fu ending that added some variety, and sometimes that's more than enough and actually even borderline clever that when mm-hmm. you think a little bit how to vary out these things because I don't know if you know this Todd they made a lot of kung fu movies in the 70s it's hard to stand out <laughs> oh so it's not just me because uh, to me it seems like there's a lot but maybe you know to you or someone who's more familiar with it yeah it seems like there's an awful there's an awful lot of them and they, so it's <laughs> damn hard to be one funny if you did kung fu comedy i mean so few of them were right. funny and uh, s- certainly yeah. when sword play and wuxia was popular as well i'm sure you know it could be painful to 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 watch these kind of movies. As you said, there's just one character in this who gets a little whiny at one point, but I think those movies, especially when they're horror comedies or they're trying to scare you, but they have one of the characters going, I'm scared, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, that that's sort of an insult to the audience, you know. That's kind of saying you'd have to be an idiot to be scared by this stuff. Yeah, you know? for sure. So this film wisely doesn't do that. But uh, another reason I like the Choi Yan movies because there's almost never that character in them. Even though you can't identify all characters, you know that that character normally didn't appear, <laughs> right? Yes. At least yes. you know you can s- sort the laundry and like. Yep, he wasn't there. <laughs> uh, have you ever seen that movie, the parody movie that David Chang made, uh, Legend of the Bat? Sorry, Legend of the Owl, which was a no airplane spoof of, uh, among other things, Choi Yun-style oh. movies. And, oh, no, I'd love to see that. Uh, it's a Hong Kong movie. Uh, David Chang uh, directed it. He stars in it as well. And uh, it, it includes having the trope of like unmasking the villain at the end and uh, we're going to have the reveal but the main characters do not recognize the fucker uh, <laughs> you you recognize him no <sighs> well let, let's fight anyway i guess i mean that's yeah. what we do <laughs> right yeah we don't know each i mean that's a that's a form of greeting in the martial world the minute you meet somebody you have a sword fight with them and then then you discuss different I'm Wong Shinshu. It was me all along. I... <laughs> Who? Legend of the Bat is a is a pretty crazy movie, but there's a later movie I'm trying to remember, and it has it's another Choyan movie. It has Bat in the title, and the guy looks just like Gene Simmons from Kiss. Do you remember this movie? Yeah, I I, I it, do. I can see that. I haven't seen the movie, but I can see that image now because I've yeah. seen some cover art or some poster. Um, Bat without wings? Could that be it? I think that's it. Yes, so, that's it. I mean, <laughs> that's that's almost a that's almost a parody in itself. That one. Some of Chinese so later movies when he got more into special effects, and that's the period when he did Heaven Sword and Gra- Dragon Saber. I mean, I I, I kind of like it, but at the same time, wow, 
Yes. Really, guys. <laughs> right, yeah. Are you serious right now? Ian Kung Fu Cultmaster, the Jet Li movie, was pretty damn coherent when you got through that first 10 minutes. Uh, uh, but the odd thing about that was that they concluded that with a cliffhanger and never made a part two. So it was like, <laughs> nice. can't win. <laughs> now, I have, now I have to see the other one. <laughs> right. <laughs> As for availability then of the 36 Shaolin Beats, uh, as we hinted at, at, there's no official DVD. I mean, th- those Brooklyn Zoo ones, they, they were dubious in in, um, in legit in the legit factor area, yeah. if you will. So, um, I mean, buying it for a dollar is more than acceptable, I suppose. And uh, so the only version in circulation is cropped to full screen. It has um, English dubbing, which is perfectly fine. It has the plethora of familiar voices that you've heard in many, many Kung, Kung Fu movies, uh, Pai Ying's dubber is the same guy you've heard dub hundreds of uh, kung fu movies, for instance, whoever he is. Um, it's watchable and understandable, of course, um, and uh, has some instances of uh, pretty wacky composition due to the cropped uh, framing. So um, it uh, it would be nice if we saw it in widescreen and uh, a little bit more amped color, because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking this uh, could um, look a little bit better, a little bit more intense color color wise it looked a little faded this one oh yes i yeah i think a nice you know letterboxed version of this a little cleaned up it could look very nice i think because when i saw the poster on hkmdb uh, i thought like it might have been it might have gotten a release in taiwan because some of these cleaned up movies their front dvd covers were the original posters, but as far as I know, they uh, they didn't put it out um, like they did a Ghost Hill or whatever. Uh, uh, the, the same company that did Ghost Hill, they put it out on DVD, and it was always the original poster uh, as the cover and stuff. So, uh, yeah, those are nice, indeed. Uh, but uh, yeah, we're done, and uh, I'm uh, was happy to uh, include this in my life. So thank you very much for the suggestion, Todd. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for including it. And because uh, I, I trust your judgment, so it's not like you need to run it by me or anything. Like, uh, and I like work, and I like a challenge. So I hope it wasn't too challenging for you. Nah, no, no, it was just like uh, I was a little behind on the plot, and then you wrote something, and then it made sense to me. So, uh, uh, Mark Lung, by the way, I forgot to mention, as the monk, uh, is one of those guys I can never, I'll never learn to recognize him. He, he's iconic because he's been in tons of martial arts movies but most famously as Ghostface Killer in The Mystery of Chess Boxing which is a, a great uh, kung fu movie uh, and a little bit of a, a cult classic obviously the Wu-Tang Clan took that to heart and um, and, and then some uh, but uh, he's uh, he looks way different in those uh, in those movies versus in that movie versus um, versus uh, this one of course uh, but uh, he's one of those guys that I I'm not, I, I, he's in there. I know. He, I know he's in there. But <laughs> there's a lot of those guys for me. Exactly. So even uh, even Jack Long is a guy who's in that movie. He's in Seven Grandmasters. Often played elder masters. But uh, thankfully, after a while, I realized what his facial features are like, so I could recognize him in and out of uh, out of old man makeup. So, and he's even uh, uh, Jack Long is even in one of those uh, Shadow Liu movies that I reviewed. Uh, he plays a Taoist priest and whatever. So, uh, uh, it might have been the one that was called Labyrinth of Death or Maze of Death. Uh, but uh, I might I might take a look at that one again uh, because I did, there's a subtitle featuring Jack Long that he's he says in the subtitles like who who something something my ass cold, you know. So it's one of those classic subtitle things, you know. Right. 
Yes. So there we are. Uh, but uh, at any rate, we are done. So I ask for my part of the contact information really quick. For all your Podcast on Fire network needs, including the back catalogue of Taiwan War, go to podcastonfire.com. All the relevant social media links are available always on the site, as well as in the show post. And any relevant links I can find that uh, connects to our discussion, I will put in the show post. So that's me plugged out. But uh, hey, why don't you throw out some plugs, including for the new podcast that you are producing as well? Well, I'd like you to read my blog, which is die danger, die, die, kill, dot blog, dot, shoot, dot blog spot, dot com. If you go there, go to the right hand sidebar, you'll have, you'll find links to both my books where you can buy them. I haven't put up a, a, a link to my new podcast yet, but um, you'll see a link to my radio show, which I am now the sole host of uh pop offensive and yes my new po- my new podcast which is called friday's best pop song ever which is available on soundcloud do, do you do it weekly or that's too much of a strain right now i'm doing it monthly but they're coming they're coming uh more frequently the last one went up last week and it's about the herman's herman song no milk today and it goes into the career of that song's writer graham goldman who was later in the band 10 cc so that's the kind of stuff it gets into all the connections and little background details context and oral fun so to say so <laughs> uh, yes you can you are oral fun you know, yeah. They haven't invented Get your mind that talk. technology. Okay. <laughs> that technology is yet to come. Taiwan War is done for this episode. I, I haven't run this by it, but I have it in my notes still that uh, it, it is a fun movie and, and I, I, won't, I, I won't saddle you with watching all the anime, of course, but the live-action Dragon Ball, even without knowing anything of the anime franchise, the Dragon Ball live-action movie is kind of fun. We'll, uh, we, we, we might include that in an episode selection and find a suitable amount of research because Dragon Ball Z is, is too vast to, to obviously cover uh, research-wise, you know, so... Um. That's something to me that is just like cultural wallpaper. I don't, you know, I know what it is, but I actually don't know what it is. Exactly. You know That's a good mean? way of saying it. I'm, I'm going to steal that. I'm going to steal it. Okay, go, please. Go, please feel free. Because when you go onto Crunchyroll, you know, the streaming service by anime, so Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball Z, like, I think I think this is like last week's episode. It's still ongoing. Damn it! I'll just stick to old anime instead. I'm, I'm watching like Space Pirate, Captain Harlock, and things like that. That's my. Oh, that's great! They always have these new Ultraman series I've never heard of, like Ultraman Gaia and Ultraman Zodiac or whatever. And those are kind of fun to watch too. Absolutely, I agree. Yeah. But uh, as for this episode, we are done, and I've been Kenobi with me was the multimedia man Todd Statman. So say goodbye, buddy. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening.